from Koenigstein Road in the east to Casitas Gap in the west, an orange curtain has descended across the Ojai Valley. This is Ojai Talk of the Town. Hey everyone, this is Brett Bradigan, editor and publisher of your Ojai magazines, The Quarterly and Monthly. This episode, we have a really lively, fun chat with Jack Dyer, the founder and visionary brewmaster behind Topa Topa Brewery. Hey, Jack, thanks for joining me. Very good. Very glad to be here. Yeah, I'm glad to have you. So um, we're we're doing an onboarding video for new employees of Topa Topa Brewing Company. Wink, wink, nudge, nudge. So what would you want them to know? How does this... What is the what is the story that you expect all of your employees to know? Yeah, well, I think the inspiration to start um, any company, you know, for me, and that it led led me to starting Topa Topa. Um, I love everyone to know that we we're founded on some pretty solid core values uh, as an institution. Um, those are quality, craftsmanship, and community spirit. Uh, kind of. The big, big three C's. The big three, yeah. So, you know, and we try and guide everything we do um, to fit into into those principles and be guided by them. Helps us make decisions. But, you know, when when the when Topa Topa started as just an idea for for me, it was born out of a desire to make something tangible and kind of build a community around it. And I figured, what better thing to do than what I think is the greatest beverage in the world, uh, beer. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, kind of levels the playing field and everybody everybody seems to like beer. So, um, yeah, so we, we the journey started a long time ago when I was living in North County, San Diego, uh, where San Diego had uh, quite a vibrant... Uh, yeah, Stone scene. Brewery. That so it's the birth of the microbrewing business. Yeah, yeah, capital of craft. They like to call themselves. So, you know, I kind of cut my teeth a little bit on the scene, at least down there. Yeah. And um, my former business partner Kyle and I were friends. Our wives went to college together, and um, we both made a small amount of beer at our on our stovetops at home. And and we, uh, along with another friend, founded a really cool concept that actually still exists down there today. We called it a, a brew op. We took the co-op concept and applied it to beer. And, oh, how, um, would that, how does that work? So we basically got like 20 folks together, uh, guys and gals. We all pitched in uh, a few hundred bucks and we bought a pretty, pretty nice homebrew system yeah. and so sizable. pooling resources. Pooling resources. And we, um, we would then decide on a recipe and produce and package beer a month and then distribute that beer out to the members of the brew op. So... Um, that was a really fun process. And for me, it taught me a lot about one, how to make beer and, yeah. and, and what goes into that. Um, but probably more importantly is specifically for, for me personally, it really energized me in that sense of community. It was a, it was yeah, a great that you can to get together. organize a community around this product. Yep. Yeah. So that, that was really kind of the birth of, 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 that I wanted to exit my former career. And, and, and what was your former this. career? Uh, I was in, I worked for a um, student loan company. So I was doing oh. sales and marketing for a student loan company for many years. Um, yeah. pre- prior to that, I was a third grade teacher. So, Oh, um, wow. Yeah. Been it's, all over the place. Look, if I were to ask, you know, how old you were, I'd guess about uh, 26 or something. Well, that's very kind of you. Very well, no, I mean, <laughs> you get to be my age. You, you could be, you know, any, any 14 to 35, it's hard to tell. <laughs> yeah. Well, I am uh, over 40. So, um, oh my God. But, uh, yeah, well, that, that's good. Maybe the beers keep me young, but uh, yeah. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, so that, that was kind of where it all started the journey from there, you know, from being in North County, San Diego and, and really thinking through and writing a business plan and, and things. And we, I was actually trying to start something down that way. And, um, my wife got a job up here and we had always vacationed in Ohio and we loved it yeah. up here. And uh, so then when she got that job opportunity she wanted to take, we moved up here um, and I quickly saw the opportunity here. Uh, became yeah. less of a risk and more of an opportunity to start something because there was far fewer breweries uh, doing what I thought we could do uh, here. So then, then there were in North County, yeah. in San Diego, because it's 25, 30 years stone. Yeah, there was. I think at some point there was over like two hundred back in the eighties. I think. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So, 
so that that led us up here. My brewmaster and, and business partner uh, Casey is actually from this region. He's from Santa Ynez area. Uh, he went to UCSB, so he kind of understood and saw what I saw once knew I knew the lay of the land. Yeah, and he was he was he was all in. So uh, then the rest is history. You know, six six quick years and five locations later, and 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 yeah. here we are. So yeah, wow, that's quite an impressive journey. Now, what is it that drew you to beer? I mean, were you an avid beer enthusiast uh, when you were coming up? Like, what what was your first experience with beer? Yeah, I've, I, you know, I think I, lo- I was fortunate that uh, I grew up in New Jersey. Um, the oldest and now largest craft brewery in the country is Yingling, which is based in Pottstown, oh, yeah. Pennsylvania. So we were in Yingling culture. So even from an early age... I was presented with beer alternatives from the big guys, you know, yeah, then your Miller, Bud Light Bud. and your Coors and, and everything. So I think I always had a taste for it. Um, when I went to college, I was always the guy who was, you know, buy, finding like the dark beer or something yeah. like that, drinking Newcastle instead of uh, Natty Light. So I, I always had a, a, a taste for it. But um, I think really for me, again, it goes back to that community vibe of it that I just... I love how beer can level playing field. You can go sit at a bar and whether you're a high powered lawyer or a plumber or a housemaid, yeah. you can all sit there and have a beer together. And it's, um, I, I've, I've always enjoyed that aspect of it and, and being able to build a company that is community minded and, um, and, yeah. and helps bring people together in that fashion, uh, was really attractive to me. And, and as it sort of gives me the, the zest of, uh, of life of what yeah. I want to do. So, well, beer, uh, my first experience with beer, I was like, I don't know, my dad grew up on a farm and we worked hard. And even when I was like 12, 13 years old, he let me have a beer after, you know, a sweaty day mm-hmm. of hauling hay. And that is Genesee Cream Ale, not one of the better beers. One, but of, my first, good. one of my first sips of beer ever was Genesee yeah, Cream Ale. I remember we'd get a gentleman, usually a homeless variety, to uh, buy us a six pack and so mm-hmm. forth, go down to the waterfall. Share a six pack of uh, Jenny Cream Ale, ninety nine cents a yeah. six pack. The little stubbies, right? Yeah. yeah, yeah, it's good stuff. Yeah, but that whole, um, you know, the democratic nature of it. I mean, I'm not a wine person. I appreciate the culture that goes into it, all the, you know, the terroir and all mm-hmm. the lore and legends that go along with it. But I can't. You, you tell me this wine's good. It's going to taste good to me. Tell me it's bad. It's going to taste bad to me. But beer, I think you just know. Like, you don't have to be told that it has a hint of electronics and snow. <laughs> you just have a taste for it. Yeah, and I think what the, the beautiful thing that's happened uh, in the beer market here in the United States is a return to, you know, we're, we're finally now at pre-prohibition numbers of the numbers of breweries uh, in, is that in the really? United so States. So it was a yeah. uh, much bigger... Yeah, so part it, of the culture then because it, it seems to, like beer is everywhere. Yeah, there used to be brewery in every town basically. So, and really the key with beer for me a lot of times is, is freshness. So, um, you know, it's 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 shifted from this homogenized can on a shelf um, yeah. from the from the one of the big suppliers to now this beautiful culture around breweries and and, and a what very they can local do, culture, very local, uh, hyper local in, in that sense and. Um, and that that's really fun, and and then uh, you know as an industry, it's such a giving industry. It's a, um, a, a the brewing industry in particular. We you know we're very community minded. We raise a lot of money for local charities. Um, we're constantly engaged. You hosted uh, an event for the Land Conservancy, which is very yeah. dear yeah. to my heart. Yeah, we, we we love the work they do. I, I think a beer tastes a little better after a, a hike Hard or a day mountain bike. Or, so, or people uh, put in a half day uh, doing some trail work. On, absolutely. Uh, Call Brendan Taylor; he'll set you up. Yeah, absolutely. So, so that that to me, the whole beer culture has has really um, shifted quite a bit in the last twenty years uh, here in in the states. So uh, it's 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 fascinating and it's fun, and I think it's a great time to be a beer drinker. That's for sure, because there's so many good so, quality yeah. beers out there. Yeah, it is almost a golden age of brewing, if it mm-hmm. were. Mm-hmm. I remember. Um, I don't. Was it my grandpa or one of my great uncles talking about? having to go down to the tavern in our little town to get beer. And they put it in like a five gallon milk can and they would grease the can so it wouldn't foam over. So they would know they were getting liquid, not, not the head. Yeah. 
<laughs> so describe can you describe to me just like the um elements of a, of a good craft beer what people should look for yeah i think um for and for us again i think every brewery has kind of their style of what they're going to do but i think a, a good brewer um and a good recipe will look for balance uh you know you don't want too much of of anything you don't want too much um too much malt to to overpower uh you don't you don't want to be so have so many hops in it that it's bitter and overpowering that you can't taste yeah. it yeah you don't IPAs want are starting to They've kind of peaked and now they're starting to go back down a little bit. I think yeah. people, the there was, IPA craze has peaked. There was a serious uh, time, right around the time when I was living in, in North County, San Diego, that there was like a race to the bottom of who could make the most bitter beer. And it was these big IPAs. Um, some, one of them was called Pallet Wrecker. And it was literally like, it was so bitter and so pungent that you couldn't taste anything for it's almost you know, the like next alkaline. 20 minutes. Yeah. So I think it's, I think there's been a nice return to, to balance. I mean, our, a lot of our IPAs um, are, we use an incredible amount of hops in them, um, but we're more leaning towards hop flavor and less hop bitterness. Yeah. Um, so yeah, balance, balance is key. I think that's, that's what our brew crew goes for balance and drinkability and approachability um, to, whatever style we're going to do, whether yeah. it's got adjuncts in it or not, we're looking to execute it in a topa topa fashion where, you know, you kind of want to, you want it to snap off your palate and we want them to have a second one. So I don't want to yeah, make something you that you only want one. Going to burn out on. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, what, what are the broad outlines? Oh, well, IPAs, I heard some story that that was a, uh, the hoppy beers preserved better. It's a so great, that's why they, India from England to India is a long ways, 8,000 miles or something. It's, it's a, it's a good story and it plays well, but it's not technically not true. So yeah, it's one of those urban myths. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So, but, um, yeah, I mean, at our brewery, we execute a number of different styles. Um, IPAs are obviously very, uh, India pale are very popular and, um, we make a couple of them. Our chief peak IPA is definitely our flagship beer. Uh, I think it's the best IPA in the region. I'm not. I'm not uh, shy about saying that. It's, yeah. it's super fresh. We use some really fun hops in it that kind of help us reflect this region. We use a hop called Citra that gives a great like orange blossom flavor to it. We use a hop from that's grown in Tasmania for us called Galaxy that's a little bit more tropical um, flavors. And mm. then we use Simcoe, which is a really classic North American hop that gives you some like grapefruit um, essence as well as some like pine. Flavors. So the combination of those three hops and that beer make it really good. We always have a yeah. rotating single hop IPA on tap, um, and that's where we—that's kind of our like science experiment that we use at Topa Topa, where we're always using new hop varieties that we may or may not yeah. have used before. So you spend a lot of time thinking about the flavors and Absolutely. and sourcing. I would imagine sourcing is as a constant challenge. Yeah, sourcing in in the brewing industry is interesting. We we buy. Largely, we all buy from similar like middlemen suppliers, but we yeah. we take it a step further at Topa. We actually we go out and meet with our our growers. So we meet with some of the farmers who grow our our barley that becomes malted grain for us to use. We go to um, hop selection and meet with the hop farmers who grow uh, the yeah. product that ends up in our beer because people do forget beer is an agricultural product and yeah. it's, um, it is it beer is food. It's what I always say. So well, um, it does it does like uh, the staff of life. It's like bread in a bottle. Yep, exactly. Exactly. Now, what are the constituents of beer? And uh, I mean. Uh, it, it would varies, but there's some basics. Right? Yeah, the basic grain and basic tenants are, 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 are grains, um, which is your malted barley or malted wheat. Um, what is malting anyway? It's like a fermentation. Yeah, semi fermentation. So it's uh, the malting facilities are pretty fascinating. There's there's one one here in California that we partner with to make one beer. Um, but malting facilities are, are, are pretty pretty cool. You get the you get the the malt to actually like germinate a little bit and then they stop it and it's yeah. pretty fascinating. So yeah, so you have malt that goes in, um, hops, water, and yeast. Those are really the the main things. And different styles of beer highlight one or more of those those um, yeah. those ingredients that go in. Is there any like wild yeast beers? There's tons of wild yeast beers. That's what would what commonly you'd be called you would call it a sour beer. Um, so that's okay. that's a wild fermentation process where they're just letting um, letting produced wort gets spontaneously um, uh, inoculated by 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 wild yeah. yeast. And you wild. can tell, like, 
you can distinguish does every area have its own flavor profile for their wild yeast there's a great there's a brewery in belgium that's world renowned called um um called cantillon and i was fortunate enough to, to get to go there and it's it down so it's the answer simple answer is yes um they cantillon it's it's this in this old warehousey building with great wooden beams and creaky Lots wooden must, steps must. and must and spider webs they literally won't don't they don't kill spiders they don't get rid of spider because they think that contributes to the wild yeast that uh that is yeah. so famous so um when you're making wild beer we have yet to to make a, a wild sour beer but uh it is in our plans for the long term but it's pretty it's a pretty cool process that goes the beer actually turns so if, uh, you put it it spontaneously ferments you put it in some sort of a fooder or an oak wine barrel and then let it age and it can take anywhere from a year to two years to wow. kind of turn and at, at some points it smells and tastes really utterly disgusting and then yeah. um, it'll magically turn into this this really unique um, wild beer that has uh there's some great ones russian river makes some great sour beers firestone walker they're out of the barrel works programs makes some great uh wild beers one of my favorite breweries allagash brewing company out of maine makes some spectacular yeah. wild wild beers too, i'll, so, I'll have to yeah. look for that yeah, yeah they're always fun to fun to find yeah so what uh you know when did you know you sort of popped up on my radar maybe like 2010 but you're probably cooking up some plans before that. So we opened Topa Topa in 2015. So we are just about six years old. We'll be seven oh, wow. in June. Um, I moved to Ojai probably in, gosh, it was probably moved to Ojai a, a number of years before then. Um, but yeah, so the, the Topa's, Topa's kind of become my identity uh, here yeah. um, locally, and um, but yeah, it's been it's been a wild and fast ride. We originally tried to open our business here uh, in the building next to the skate park that yes. is still yet the uh, old video store, yeah, as I recall, still yet to be developed. But um, yeah, that was that was that, that, that salvageable was, anymore. Nah, I think that's the last. That, that building really inspired me to really put the pedal to the metal and get and get this place going. So we, I, you know, I think I think I was. After a long mountain bike ride or something, we were sitting having a beer uh, with some friends across at Seafresh and just staring at that building and thinking, just was thinking, wow. man, this town needs a brewery and uh, and decided to go for it. So um, that's that's really where the initial plan started. Obviously, we didn't end up opening there. Yeah. Um, and well, we it's an interesting journey that you started plans to open in Ojai and then you opened like three or four other locations mm -hmm. before. You could open in Ojai. We started working on the Ojai tap room shortly. I mean, I started working on it kind of behind the scenes shortly after we opened our original location in Ventura um, on Thompson Boulevard. Yeah, which must that must have been uh, fortuitous or well planned because you're right next to Patagonia. Yeah, yeah. I think that was a a very lucky uh, mistake that we made. <laughs> but uh, yeah, Patagonia uh, down there. It was it. When we when we shifted to starting to look at places in Ventura, um, being on the west side there, closer yeah. to Patagonia was was um, was important for us. I thought yeah. that, that that neighborhood um, needed a little bit of a lift, and uh, we hope to be kind of one of the first businesses to do it. And now you see that neighborhood over there on the west side of Ventura really yeah, kind of you, starting to come you, up. Yeah, uh, you brought that neighborhood up. We you were like a lonely side. outpost, but no more. The Patagonia folks certainly supported, have supported us from day one, and and yeah. still do. And it's a really lovely partnership that we have with them to to just, um, you know, they're 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 the they are kind of our core constituent of uh, of customer. Yeah, and the and the, yeah, the customer profile would yeah. match up with a yeah. Patagonia employee or user of their yeah. equipment. And what a wonderful company to have uh, access to um, just. As I've grown our company over the years, I mean, the folks at Patagonia, it's open door policy, basically. If I want to talk to them about human resources, if I want to talk to them yeah. about sales strategy. Have you made presentations there to their company meetings? We've had a couple of, uh, we've had a couple of good meetings, not like to the company as a whole, but a couple couple times. But they're, they're just, it's more, if I have questions, they're very yeah. open and forthcoming with how they 
uh, have scaled and grown so that it's a great company to have around the corner from us. Yeah. And a great company to emulate. They just take care of and themselves. Fire, so well. Oh, yeah. They yeah. really. There's a great book out now called A Wild Idea about um, Doug Tompkins, who is the founder of North Face, yeah. and Yvonne Chouinard's very close friend, and about his environmental projects to link up as many different. Uh, wildlife corridors and ecosystems as you can to think on a larger scale yeah. about how uh, conservation should work. But they talk a lot about Ventura and Patagonia and Yvonne Chouinard's partnership and friendship and the legendary climbing trip to Mount Fitzroy they made back in the 1960s and how everything flowed out of that. So it feels like you're, you are downstream from that from that source absolutely and they it's just it's inspiring what they've done i mean we're one percent of the planet company um and that's because of patagonia uh yeah. you know i i one of the reasons i started topo was i read yvonne's book let my people go surfing mm-hmm. and uh just wanted to create something that um had that type of a could have that type of an impact and yeah. um, to to use business and use beer and particularly as, as a force for good uh, and instead of just, you know, to make a profit, it's like, no, let's have some fun and let's do some good along the yeah. way. Yeah. And that, that will be secondary, but it's interesting how, how it flows from your values. Mm-hmm. Not always. There's lots of great value driven companies that don't succeed. Yeah. But when those things do match up, it's magic. I mean, it really mm-hmm. is. I've always thought, and I always steal, um, I, I, I really like uh, Simon Sinek, and he, uh, if you ever heard him speak, but he, a talk he gave years ago, I think it was a TED talk, and it was about, you know, people buy why you do something, not what you make. And so they, yeah. buy, they buy why make, why you make it, not what you make. And I, So I've, for all you new employees, this is the, this is the, the founding, founding, the origin story. Yeah, so that's, that, that to me, if we can, if we're succeeding as a business, um, and really any business, if, you're, if, if, if you want to be successful, getting people to understand why you're doing what you're doing, not just what you do is, is yeah. a big thing. If our, if our employees can understand that and then eventually our, our customers can understand that, then I think um, that's led us to this point to our, our limited amount of success that we've had. Yeah, well, that was uh, Ventura. And then your next outpost was the uh, Funk Zone, right? Yeah, we um, pretty quickly after we opened Ventura, I'd say it was probably just a, probably like six months in we are, are, I should say our business plan always involved having multiple tap rooms, um, in, in California. Well, California has unique, um, alcohol laws. Uh, the ABC affords small craft breweries, type 23 licenses, small beer manufacturers to have up to six satellite tap rooms. Um, it dates back to the, the law dates back to, we, we operate on a similar license as a small wine manufacturer, um, too. And wineries are obviously usually way out in the country, uh, they're pressing fruit and and growing grapes. Uh, so they allowed them to have satellite tap rooms in the center of town. So, um, when, when the brewery movement started, we, we lobbied for that same right. So, um, so yeah, with our license, we get to have six satellites. So I always looked at that and just said, that's. You know, the best no brainer. Yeah, because you scale up to whatever the capacity is, scale up the capacity. You have full control of your product. You have full control over how it's presented um, to your customers um, and you keep all your all your profit margin in house, which is um, perhaps from a business perspective a a very attractive thing. But um, so that that's our second spot was um, Santa Barbara. We we entered into that lease pretty quickly after we opened. Um, and we well were, at that time the funk zone hadn't really hit its stride yet, had it? It, it was the, our first two years there were very busy because there wasn't as many options as there are now. We things yeah. have, things have cooled just because there's so many options. Um, really, it's, it, things have cooled right at the same level. Of, like people used to come and have three or four beers, and now they come yeah. for one because there's four other spots that they're going to hit while they're there. So um, yeah, it's a walking tour kind of place now. Yeah, so Santa Barbara, I think it was a good second location for us because it got our name out there too and as we started to distribute our beer um a little bit too um it was helpful to have a have that location in santa barbara um not only to distribute our beer from that location to buying accounts in santa barbara but um a lot of 
Excuse me. A lot of folks coming from LA and what have you visit Santa Barbara and, and yeah. get access and, and exposure to our brand. So that was that was our second location. Um, third location was Ojai, which yeah. is um, selfishly, I think, because I live here, it's probably my favorite location. I, yeah. I think well, you you found a great location. The the old uh, laundry. Yeah. yeah. Um, I'm trying to remember uh, the Kim family. What Ojai dry cleaners and Michelle. Our, Michelle, yeah, yeah I love her. She's my she's a yeah, dear delight. lady. She's actually our landlord there. Yeah, so it's a it's a really nice story that um, and they're still operating the laundry. They just moved it further back a little. Yeah, I think for 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 them in particular, it helped them you know not have to work all day every day, and, and now it's uh, yeah. they can they can collect the rent check from us and and sit back and they they outsource a little bit of the actual dry cleaning and, and still offer that service to the community yeah, here, which was, was really important to her. Yeah. She was, she was, um, as we, as we started talking about the deal, that was the one thing. How did that, that how did that connection get made? Um, you know, obviously living here in town, I was, uh, we were always interested in having a tap room, uh, here. I met Michelle through our friend, uh, Jeff Becker, uh, who connected okay, us. Property manager. Yeah. Property manager. And, and, uh, we kind of, pitched her a little bit on the on the concept of if if and when you're ever ready to, to step away this is a, a, a concept that we have for the space yeah um, conveniently and, and very interestingly her son is in brewing uh he oh, actually, I didn't know that. yeah he actually brews uh for a good friendly brew of ours uh the rare barrel up in berkeley huh. and so all along i think um you know she had an understanding so she from, got it from his experience i think she got yeah. it yeah and uh and when the timing was right, it was. I think it was a good move for everyone, all parties involved. And like I said, I think uh, she's a great landlord for us right now. And and I think it's. I personally think it's kind of a cool, a really cool success story of of someone. You know, she owns that whole building. Mm-hmm. She's a an incredible small business story. If you if oh you yeah, hard working. You know, they just worked their tails off for sixty friendly. years, and and uh, now now I think you know. Hopefully, we've helped improve the value of her asset there, and and. Um, she can retire and, and put her feet up and yeah. and just uh, collect some rent checks and and. Um, Have you ever thought about uh, buying that business and becoming <laughs> a landlord yourself? <laughs> I think I mean long term it would be nice. We with five locations it would be nice to own a couple of them, um, yeah. but we're we're not there yet. We're still in a quite a big um, quite a big kind of growth curve as a company. Yeah, where was your fourth? What's the? Uh, so our fourth location then was our new production facility in Ventura. So we quickly outpaced. Um, the production capacity that we had at our original location. Yeah. So we had to build a bigger a bigger brewery to satisfy the demand for for our beer. Um, so we moved into what is was Patagonia's actually old yeah. distribution warehouse on uh, Colt Street over in kind of the manufacturing district in in Ventura. Um, and so we take about we took about a third of that building, uh, converted the backyard uh, into a that was a, it was like a soccer field. Um, for the mm. warehouse workers, um, but we converted it into a big drought tolerant uh, beer garden, and uh, that's our headquarters. That's where we make all of our beer now. That's where I go yeah. every day uh, when I go into work, um, and that supplies our taproom network uh, as well as our our distributors who sell our beer now. You know, yeah. pretty much throughout California, um, we did open a fifth location uh, in Camarillo, uh, in Old Town Camarillo. Uh, we yeah. opened that one during the pandemic, which was interesting and fun. Well, you'd already made the commitment, or you saw an opportunity, or what? We were already that that project was was inked and and ready to go before, yeah. and then we slowed it down. Yeah, t- tell me about the, your your experience with the shutdown. You know, the third fourth week of March of twenty twenty. Did you feel like the world was coming to an end? It it and, and you know I think. Yeah, I mean, I can go back to feeling that feeling right now. It was, oh, um, man. it was terrifying. I think it was terrifying for the whole world. We, no one yeah. knew what was what was going on, um, and to have a business like ours that relies on our tap rooms being open and operating, um, and you know that that represents well over well over sixty percent of our revenue comes from our yeah. tap rooms. Um, to see that just go away to zero overnight to zero is um was was really scary but and i certainly there was moments where i 
I thought for sure. I was like, okay, this is how it's this is how it's gonna go. This gonna is have how to start I'm looking for a real job. I'm gonna lose everything. You know, my my whole life's tied into the business. The, yeah. the bank has the house and everything. So she's like, okay, this is this is it. And um, but then you know, sitting back, looking at our team, um, and working cohesively together while apart. You know, because at that point you weren't yeah. even allowed to like gather gather. Right so. Um, my team did an incredible job of pivoting. We put, we pivoted every ounce of beer. We still operated the production floor throughout. We never stopped producing. Yeah. Um, and we had to change a lot of how we produced and keep people separate and sure and um, and masks and all that sort of stuff. But um, we just pivoted. We put every drop of beer instead of putting it in kegs to be served in our tap rooms and on draft. We put it in a can. Uh, mm-hmm. We released beers in labelless cans where we literally were putting like a topa topa sticker on them and and uh, we just we got scrappy again and just yeah. really had to return to and and that um, startup mentality startup mentality anything you could do to sell because while we were still losing an incredible amount of money every month every dollar that we did bring in during that time every six pack that our customers bought over the counters we like had to like just put it outside and and, or or ship it to them or deliver directly to their door um, all of that mattered and every single one every single penny of that went into saving the business so um, you know it's been nice Kind of this next year when we were when we started to get reopened to uh, return, you know, and then say thank you to to all of our customers. Yeah. Who helped, Do you feel like uh, there was a solidarity that came out of that, or uh, uh, like it strengthened your brand to go through that trial? Yeah, a hundred percent. And it, it it really what it did for us is it made us really look internally for a business that had been growing so fast for so many years. It was just sort of like, okay, go, 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 go. Just make beer and and it's gone. We really had to look closely at all of our processes and procedures. And And distribution um, channels. Distribution channels and clean everything up um, because we needed to be as efficient as possible just to survive. Um, so, so yeah, we learned a lot through it. Uh, would I want to go through it again? No. Um, we're hopeful we're, we won't. It seems like this year we have some level of, of certainty. Uh, for the last two years, it seemed like the only certain thing was uncertainty. So, yeah. um, so we're, we're, we're thankful that it's we an made interesting it time to, to live with that. There's a certain part of me, aside from the horror of it all, yeah. that brings about a certain amount of solidarity. And people and community, you talk about community a lot. I feel like, especially in the business community in Ohio, that we've managed to drag ourselves through that. This is worse than the Thomas fire. You remember the Thomas fire. Yeah. That was scary, too. That was scary, too. Yep. Yeah. But that was nothing compared to this. Yeah. Where we went to zero overnight mm-hmm. and then having to rebuild ourselves. And Ohio's changed significantly. And I know... You know, like some of the early weekends in your location, we should talk about that because it hits a lot of all the right notes for a community. Mm-hmm. But that sense that, oh, maybe we can get through it. And then all these people from L.A. that were so tired of being cooped up. I'm talking like Memorial Day weekend yeah. of 2020 when all of a sudden the place was inundated. And there's a lot of good and bad that goes with that. I know from the Land Conservancy's point of view, there's a lot of bad because Mm -hmm. there was lots of rowdy parties going on down by the swimming hole and the Ventura River and the trails were clogged up and they had to close them off. And man, but that sense that all these people were walking around so happy to be out of their confinement and where did they want to go when they got out of their confinement? They wanted to go to Ohio oh, and have a beer. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. It was, it, it was, it was, it was wild. I mean, when we when we reopened and we're actually allowed to have people um, at our space, it was it, there was a lot of fear that went through our staff. Um, yeah, our our team was unsure, and this was pre-vaccine, so um, you know. It was like, okay, how, how do we do this? And I, so instantly, you know, our, our, our cushiest job, you know, the beer tender, which is a really fun job to yeah. get to do with the company, instantly became like a frontline worker. And it was like just essential workers. Essential workers, yeah. And so um, that was a really interesting time frame. We spent, I spent a great deal of time um, 
just in constant communication with our with our team at all of our tap rooms to just you know say okay here's our processes and procedures here's the cleaning things that we're going to do here's the masks that you're going to wear um, to really lay it out for them and say you don't have to do this but if you're willing this is an opportunity to help uh, us go forward and and um, you know we 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 made it through and and we made it through with very few. Um, COVID exposures and, and, and COVID tests. In fact, the only positive COVID test, knock on wood, um, that we that we had for a while were when we were actually all locked down and not at work um, yeah. at, at our company. So we, we took it, we, we tried to communicate, over-communicate as much as we could. Um, we tried to be compassionate to our uh, employees' concerns. And then, uh, and then, but we also tried to let them know, like, hey, like, if they say we're allowed to open, we have to open because yeah. then that's where all the government help goes away. And, and we're not, we can't just stay closed yeah. forever. This is our business. This is what we have to do. And, and um, yeah, and in, in a way our spaces and I, it's, it's interesting you mentioned the Thomas fire too, because in a way there was, uh, our spaces were a little bit of a solace for people um, both during the Thomas fire. I yeah. remember our Santa Barbara tap room during the Thomas fire was like half all of my friends from Ojai were there because everyone escaped yeah. to Santa Barbara at the beginning mm-hmm. of the Thomas fire. So, um, and during the pandemic, you know, while the inundation of, from LA was, it was nerve wracking and, it, and, it, and, um, and challenge had its challenges. You know, if we can offer those folks who've been co- cooped up, uh, if we could offer them a little, Respite. A, little, a little respite, a little slice of normalcy, then, then that's what we yeah. were there to do. And, well, people appreciated yeah. that. I, man, yeah. you could just see it in their, on their faces. Like, yeah, there was a just that sense of coming out of the isolation. Yeah, what better way to do it than go have a beer? I can remember the first weekend that we were open, or a um, glass of wine, people. Yeah, wine's, just wine's good too. Wine's yeah. good too. The first weekend that we were open after one of the extended shutdowns, I went around to all of our tap rooms and I made a point to talk to every table and um, just ask them how they're doing and. And it was at that yeah. point where you were only allowed to gather with your household. So it was these people who had, you know, been COVID together, pots. but then they just, they, and I was yeah. like, so like, this is kind of just like hanging out in your backyard, right? They're like, it's so much nicer than our backyard. <laughs> like, we're just happy to be here. Like just be out. And it was this, this really sense of, uh, of community that people were excited to come out and enjoy those yeah. little things in life, like getting a beer that they will hopefully never again yeah. take for granted. Yeah. Yeah, I would I would hope so too. Yeah. I certainly don't anymore. It's just like this is this is nice. I mean, our tap rooms and our our big beer garden and our production facility were empty for so long that uh, it's nice when there's people there now. I'm 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 sure to make sure to go around and smile, yeah. and shake some hands, and, and say hello. Well, the one thing I noticed about uh, your brewery site uh, was just how much people enjoy watching other people. Yeah, here in Ohio. Yeah, yeah, because mm-hmm. you're right there at the nexus of the of the town, and everybody's passing by, and just the back and forth. There's this great book called A Pattern Language, and maybe I've talked about it before, I don't know. But it's like these 230 timeless patterns for how people interact with each other and the spaces in which they do it. And a big part of it is talking about the ideal size of a community is about 7,000 people. Mm-hmm. This is throughout history. They've been, you know, about that. So right about size of Ojai. The other part of it is, you know, the eyes on the street, like not just, you know, uh, the tap room, but Mm -hmm. say, uh, you know, Stacy at the coffee shop next door and and, uh, Dansky with her shop and how people are interacting with each other on the street. Mm Mm-hmm. And it just like, oh my God, we got that back. Yeah, something that we didn't even really know we had. We lost it. And now we got it back. But that was definitely one of the key patterns: is eyes on the street, mm-hmm. and the way that things are designed. And, and good design is so that you can have those eyes on the street. And you know, one of the examples they use is like the cobbler who who has his workbench right by the window, so mm-hmm. the kids coming out of school can go by. No, I see. You know, peeking in. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But to sit back and have a beer and watch all the traffic going by, that's pretty sweet. Yeah, it's it's cool. And, it's, um, yeah, I, I have friends who say, like, I can't walk by your place without seeing someone I know. So yeah. it's like, all right, then come in and say hello. And hopefully yeah. it's a little bit of a, 
a community hub for, for folks. And, and um, I think it's a good use of that corner. Um, yeah, I'm trying to imagine underutilized. Yeah, I don't, yeah. can't imagine it was anything better. Now, the uh, pop-up restaurant concept that you have in there with really delicious food, uh, mm-hmm. how did that, what was the process for that? So we, we knew when we... So Sama Sama Kitchen. Sama Sama. We call them Little Sama um, there because they have their brick and mortars in, in Santa Barbara on State Street called Sama Sama. Uh, they were one of the first places to serve our beer in Santa Barbara and um, built a friendship through trying to sell them beer in the yeah. early days and uh, loved their food. And uh, we knew Ojai when we... So two of our satellite locations are allowed to have full-blown kitchens. And... Um, we thought Ojai was a good spot uh, for, yeah. for to have food instead of just a tap room without any food. And um, when we looked at what was available in town, and um, we wanted to do something different, and that was that was sort of the the real um, uh, on the search for a food partner. Uh, we knew we didn't want to do food ourselves. Yeah. Uh, we, we thought outsourcing it to someone who if that's Isn't their expertise yeah. is, is better. We'll focus on making great beer and. They can make great food. So, um, yeah, little Sama, Sama Sama guys came along. We really like them. Um, their food pairs really well with beer as well. Indonesian food and some some of the spicier flares go really well with yeah. with our beers. So I can um, attest to that. We'd always done we'd done a few beer dinners with them too, where we did some curated uh, beer oh, pairings, pairings. Wow, down in down in Santa Barbara or up in Santa Barbara and. And uh, yeah, I think our business visions aligned. I knew that they were looking to expand and have multiple locations um, just as we were. So uh, it worked well. And I thought while Indonesian food seems like a little bit of a risk, I felt like the city and town, the people of Ojai were ready for something I think uh, so vibrant too. and new. So that's uh, that's how that came together. And um, it's it's done great. I mean, they're, they're, they're doing a really good job and, and I love it. It seems like just the way that set up with the windows and and the takeout uh, yeah. flow, it seems to work pretty well. Yeah. I mean, I getting through the pandemic and so forth. Yeah, that, that, that was hard. They actually did fairly well because so many people were sick of cooking, so a lot of people were picking up. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that fast casual thing is something that can, the, the consumers have 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 become accustomed to. I um, think, yeah. And it's 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 nice. And and again, we have separate POSs. We have se- we're two separate businesses. Yeah. We just happen to share the same the same spacing and complement one another pretty well. Yeah, I think so. So, so you were talking about uh, out there working the streets, getting the sales, and and did you do all that yourself? Did you hire? At the beginning, Pro. yeah. Yeah, well, we, there's no one else. You got to do everything. Yeah, just, early um, early years, um, it was Casey making the beer. Um, our first employee ever was uh, a wonderful gal named Kendall. She's still with us. Uh, she was she was bartending in the tap room, and I'd help her. And I was helping Casey make the beer. And then when I started to go out and sell the beer and deliver it, uh, we were self distributed. So we we did it out of my Toyota Tacoma, and mm-hmm. um, yeah, would go out and. We started selling the beer basically at places that we like to go eat, and that was that's how we that started. There's a natural affinity somehow. Yeah, like. yeah. So the places we like to go eat lunch or dinner or whatever, we would just kind of plop a few kegs down and, and see how it did, and um, it quickly caught on. And and then so then we then we expanded. Um, we took one of our early beer tenders, Lillian, who's um, who it lives is from here in Ohio and and uh, lives here still. Um, she's no longer with Topa. Um, but she was well, she was our first sales rep, and so she got yeah. out there and and uh, and really helped push us forward. Working the streets, working the streets, and and uh, talking to accounts. And we bought a Sprinter van, so then we graduated from my Tacoma to a Sprinter van. And um, yeah, we we grew we grew the business while it seems like we we just were on this rocket ship and have grown really fast. Yeah. We actually grew fairly judiciously for what I think we could have. Mm-hmm. Um, if we, if we were sitting on piles of money, I think we would have grown a lot faster, but we weren't, we were just, you have uh, to finance, to finance ourselves. Did you have to make some relationships with bankers that you never thought you would have to do? And <laughs> yeah, because people don't think about, you know, I w- like when Elon Musk was on Saturday night live, he was, he's got a little pitch in there for Dogecoin. And I'm thinking, this guy's the richest man in the world, and he's still pimping for money. <laughs> it's like I don't think people understand. Like a, this great book uh, by Ron Chernow about John D. Rockefeller, mm-hmm. who was a very complicated figure. 
and not a very nice man in many ways. But even when he had this vast wealth that even the titans of Zuckerberg and Musk haven't really reached yet, he was still having to cultivate relationships with bankers and money and and you know, yeah, sure, he's worth all this money, but he owes, you know, some days even more. Yeah. You know, depending upon situations that are often outside their control. Yeah. So did you feel like you were kind of at the mercy of these forces at any points? Yeah. I mean, especially during the pandemic, I imagine that yeah. was like really brought it up close and personal. Yeah. Well, thankfully, we have really good. Um, one of the things that I've learned in my short business career as, as my own business owner is it's all about relationships. I mean, every at every level, whether whether we're talking to the folks that clean our windows or clean oh, yeah. our tap rooms, like it's all about building these relationships and having them be real and meaningful. Um, so business to me is a lot about that. And fortunately we have um, really strong relationships with our stakeholders who helped us get started. Uh, we do have some outside investors. Um, I was not of the means to start this myself. Yeah. Um, so we have some great local investors who uh, believe in our vision and understand and we have very strong and our relationships patient. with them. And our patient. That's the yeah. main yeah. virtue of investors. Yeah, but it, it goes over to the bank. I think when we to start the company, we started it with some private investment, but then we needed a, a, a bank loan. A, um, uh, I think it was a SBA 7A loan and um, that we used and, and we went to 23 banks and we got 22 no's and we got one yes and they helped us get started we actually still bank with them we don't they're not they're not our primary lender anymore but we kept our checking and savings account with them um because they because loyalty matters loyalty matters and um but now we have a really great um, banking relationship with a, a a bank that's quite active in the brewery and in wine that space. sector. So, so they, they, they understand cash flow works. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So, but those relationships were paramount and critical, especially during the pandemic. We 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 had to go back and raise some money. We had to take on more debt from our bank just to survive. Yeah. Um, but we did all those things, and I think we're in a position now. Um, and we're better for it. And I think our, our relationships on that side of the business are, are, are very strong. And I'm, I'm super thankful for that. So. Yeah. Well, let's, I'd like to talk about uh, more about this, uh, you know, entrepreneurial energies and how much better it is to be working for yourself than for the man. <laughs> it's nice. I almost, I've, I, my mom always uses, I almost like cringe at the term entrepreneur. Cause I think it's been like, drug through the mud of this sense that like entrepreneurs like I did it all myself and I built this no. like, I'm like no you never no, do it anything. all goes back to what you were saying relationships yeah, yeah. I mean we we're, we're very lucky to live in an area and a state and a country that has that supports the types of things I mean we have great roads we have great electricity we have all these things that yeah um you know I think I think that some of my friends who like started a business in Central America they're really entrepreneurs because they like built it everything yeah. but um but yeah I for me the 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 desire to 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 do this it was good timing um I was in a very fortunate position my wife also has a great career and a job so I was able to kind of not get paid Smooth out for the, a little while the flow. Yeah. <laughs> and um and she's a been a huge supporter of of me to kind of take the shot and and go for it um so yeah it's but you you have to have um for me that the things that have gotten me through are i do have a lot of energy so i um am willing and able to uh, put in the time and the energy to, to keep yeah. keep working and i know it's a cliche but when you work for yourself it doesn't feel anywhere near the kind of work when you're yeah. Uh, you yeah. have to eat a lot of crap when you work for yourself, but you do it because it's yours. It it truly doesn't feel like work for me. Uh, I know that's super cliche as well, but yeah. when you really do love what you do, and, and I I really do love what we what we do, um, it doesn't feel like work. I mean, there were there were days in the early times where I'm like, you know, I cleaned kegs for six hours and oh, bartended for it's four. It's a grind. That felt like work, but. It was still fun. You know, I got yeah. to choose whatever music I wanted to put on. That's nice. And then I get to go drink beer and talk to people. And those are the things that I really like to do. But um, one of the things that I've gleaned from other, uh, you know, mentors and stuff is uh, just kind of a, a relentless optimism. 
because uh, things can feel like they're overwhelming and they're dark, but I'm the one usually in the meeting who will sit there and say, no, we'll figure this out. We'll get yeah. through it. And we'll, you know, we have surrounding myself with people who are much smarter than me has been great um, because that gives me the confidence to say, with this group in the room, we'll solve this problem. Yeah. We're, we're, we'll figure it out. There's always a way. Yeah. Probably it's not probably not going to come from me. Yeah, <laughs> I'm I'm going to hopefully be the conduit of the conversation to help them figure it out because they're all way smarter than me. My yeah. brewmaster Casey is he's our brewmaster and COO, and he's one of the smartest people I've ever met. He's got a brain that works way differently than than mine, and um, I think that's been a really a, a, a key to us to be able to um, I can leave things to him, and I know they're going to get handled and handled really well and then i can focus on other things to help us uh, help us so this goes back to uh how we started the conversation with uh onboarding new employees (laughs) so you know who you're working for and why yeah i think i think when when we when we do bring new people into the fold we try and and tell the story of of how topo started but then really again have them understand it's what we make is beer but why we do it is is built on those core values of, of, you know, we do it, we use the, we make the highest quality product we can possibly make. We love to do things ourselves, which is our craftsmanship. We love to do builds ourselves. We have a whole maintenance team that just builds stuff all the time. And, um, and then that community spirit to me is really important because to me that represents not only our commitment to the community and folks like Ojai Valley Land Conservancy or Ventura Land Trust, um, it's, but it's, it's also about like just teamwork, uh, you know, that we, we work cohesively with all of our stakeholders, whether it's a distributor, um, whether it's, um, you know, a local reporter, whether it's what we treat everyone with respect, build those relationships and, uh, and have, um, and have fun while you're doing it. And that's, uh, you know, we're very fortunate. We, we get to make beer for a living. I mean, that's yeah, like, that's that, there's, not that, there's not that many people like who my, get to do that. My 15 year old self would thought that was like the pinnacle of human achievement. Yeah, and for many, for many, it is. But yeah, it's it's it can be a grind. Uh, but then, yeah, when you step back and look at it, and and for me, like in my previous career, it was almost difficult for me to even explain what I was selling and what yeah. I was doing. Whereas now, it's like, no, we make beer. That's what we do. We engage in our community. We do all these things and it becomes a, it's a little bit of a simpler lifestyle, which is, yeah, yeah. I like that. Yeah. All right, Jack. uh, Thank you so much. And uh, you've been very generous with your time and it's a pleasure to get to know you a little better. Yeah, absolutely. It's been great. Great to see you guys. And um, thank you for having us. Just thinking out loud. Since we've been doing the podcast in a year and a half, we've been fortunate to talk with some of the guiding entrepreneurial spirits of Ojai and to pick up on that sense of energy and youthful enthusiasm that people who go to work for themselves, they need. Now, there's an interesting statistic about self-employed people that they would have to make three times as much working for someone else to have the same level of life satisfaction. So even though there's a lot of ups and downs and a lot of stress, the rewards outweigh that significantly. And I've had good bosses and I've had bad bosses. And even the good bosses, it's it's always a, something's going on. There's challenges. So if you can make $50,000 a year working for yourself, you'd have to make 150000 working for someone else. So if you have some idea cooking in the back of your mind and you're willing to commit yourself to it, I recommend that you go out there and do it. And then after you've been doing it for a while, come look me up. We'll chat. Well, that's it for this episode of Ojai Talk of the Town. We'll keep an ear out for you.